Welcome to the Restoration Church Podcast. To learn more about our church, give, share a prayer request, or access our weekly worship guide, visit us at www.restorationlex.com slash this week. As Jessica was saying, we're in Romans chapter 8, so I'm just going to read our passage here today, jump right in. This is one of those passages that is so weighty, one of those passages that you feel like you're going to see yourself in 20 years sitting down and reading this and still feeling the, the gravity of these words and seeing it in different ways. And so let's hear these words here on the screen, and then we're going to pray and ask God to speak to us today. So with me on the screen, Romans 8, verses 18 through 25. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits an eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up into the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have, but... If we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. Father, as we hear these words, I I do, I feel the weight of words that were spoken long before we were here and words that will be here long after us. These, These words of encouragement about our future, about what we have to look forward to in the process of the pain and hardship and suffering that we all go through in this life. So may you come and meet us where we are. Speak to us today by your Spirit. We know you are here. We have sang that. We acknowledge that. You are present to us, God. May we now be present to you, present to what you're speaking in and through us, not only as individuals, but as a whole community. Would you shape us by your word? In the power of your spirit, in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, I want to begin this morning with a question, a question that has become kind of a cliche at this point, but I still want to ask it anyway. If you had a time machine and you could go to any time in history and visit that time and place, where would it be? And this is not a, histor- a, a rhetorical question. I actually want you to answer. Someone answer. If you had a time machine, go anywhere in time. And you don't have to say Jesus, just because we're in church. I know some of y'all are going to do that. But if you could go anywhere, where would you go? Yes. Back to see your granddaughter. That's a good... Huh? Oh, your grandmother. I was going to say back to, back to the future almost there. Granddaughter. Where else? Your mom? Huh? Yes. 
You can't go in the future. Ooh, man, don't do my sermon early. Gosh. That's, that's really, I'll stop it with, with right there because I've asked this question. I've been a part of this question many times in settings. I remember my, one of my mentors long ago asked that question, and everybody went around, and 99% of the time when you ask the question, everyone points to a place in the past. Almost no one says the future. And it's because for most of us, when we begin to talk about the future, the future is unknown. The future is scary, especially right now. I mean, think about all of the movies and popular shows that we watch on TV. 90% of them are about apocalypse and the world ending and zombies destroying everything. Most of our entertainment deals with how the world is ending and what we're going to do. I read a New York Times article this week that called our time the golden age of existential dread. That is what we're living through. And it's kind of true. This is a very, very hopeless time for folks that we're dealing with on a daily basis. According to this article I read in Vox magazine recently, that the only thing we really all have in common in our, difference, in our differences is that we all share this sense of impending doom. Politically, across the board, everyone thinks that we're going to hell in a handbasket. In this article, the Vox magazine, the Abby Richards, she says, there's a collective sense that the world is ending. It's the only nonpartisan issue. Everyone thinks it's going really bad, and that's what we agree on. And if you're convinced that that's our future, it's seemingly hopeless. But we will always live in response to what we see coming. Whether you are religious or not, what we believe about our future always impacts the way we live in the present, right? If you think that we are hopeless moving forward, that will completely inform the way you live right now. And this is especially true for Christians in America, a massive chunk of whom have been influenced by something called dispensationalism. Anybody know what that is? Dispensationalism. If you don't know what that means, it's rapture theology, the idea that God is going to, when it gets, starts to get tough, he's going to ghost all the Christians up out of here and then leave everyone else, all the sinners behind until the day that Jesus comes back and makes us all in the sweet by and by, floating on clouds. Yada, 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 you know. And I mean, growing up, the, the rapture anxiety was real, y'all. If you grew up in that, that world, like, I remember in some of these Left Behind movies and stuff, like seeing clothes in the floor, you thought, oh crap, somebody has just got raptured and I'm left behind and I'm, I didn't do right. I mean, there was a lot of anxiety that came with that understanding. In fact, the most, uh, the best-selling nonfiction book in the 1970s, some of you have probably heard of this book, do you know what it is? The Late Great Planet Earth by Hal Lindsey. It sold 10 million copies just in the 1970s with this idea that everything's just going to burn up and God's going to take us right on out so nothing really matters about this world. 
that theology has been far more influential than we probably realize in every facet of our life, politically, uh, religiously, everywhere. This sense of dispensational theology impacts our world, which means for a lot of us, we, we only understood a Christian alternative to the doom and nihilism that we see everywhere is that Jesus is just going to hoover us up on out, and that's it. And let me ask you today, are these the only two choices we have? No. Do we have to choose between this nihilistic secular doom and the idea that we're just going to escape it all and go to a disembodied heaven? If these are the only two options, and listen, a lot of people think those are the only two options, we're going to live that way. And it may seem that way, but Romans 8, what we read today gives us a new way forward in how we understand and therefore have hope for what our future holds. It is a story, it is a passage that neither denies the condition of the world we live in because there are terrible things happening, right? But it also doesn't allow us or encourage us to numb it or escape it, but to look for something bigger. Instead, the future hope that Paul's talking about today is a hope that actually starts here. Paul speaks about our future hope, and strangely, he's not talking about something that's happening on the inside. He begins with an outward reality. He starts speaking about creation. Look again with me. It says, for the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning, as in the pains of childbirth, right up into the present time. What in the world does creation have to do with our redemption? For a lot of us, when we talk about the gospel, when we talk about how God saves us, it goes something like this. We're born into sin. We, we as humans, rebel against God. Jesus died on the cross for our sins so that we could go to heaven when we die. That was the totality of what I, at least growing up, knew to be the gospel. It hopefully sounds familiar to you. And while it is true, it is far, far from being the whole picture of what the gospel is in the scriptures. It's one part of it, yes. But what we see today, what you're being pointed to today, is a way bigger gospel. What we see is that the, from the first page to the last, this cosmic scope of redemption that we're being pointed to. John 1, 3 points it out. It says, through him, speaking of Jesus, all things were made, and without him nothing was made that has been made. So not only was Jesus present at creation, it tells us he is the source of our creation. He is the one by through whom all things are made. Romans 8 is reminding us then that sin brought death 
and decay, but it didn't do that just simply to our human souls. It brought death and decay over all of creation. Sin is not just the wrong choices that you and I make. Sin is a power that creation is under apart from God. It is the broken state that you and I encounter on a daily basis. When we see our friends struggling with cancer, when we see smoke covering Kentucky from fires in Canada, when we see environmental crises like this, they flow out of death brought by sin. It's not just you and I and our souls, our inward lives that need redemption. Paul says the whole of creation is groaning to be saved. You drove by and through trees and grass. You look out on hills and mountains that Paul says are groaning for Jesus to bring redemption. I love that picture. I love that even when we forget to feel that ache and groan, the Bible reminds us that earth itself is calling out for Jesus to bring salvation. And when the Bible speaks of this work of Christ, it does so both personally and cosmically, meaning that God in Christ, He is not just redeeming our souls, but He's also redeeming, and this is good news, all of creation. Colossians 1, 19 and 20 says, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, speaking of Jesus, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Do you know what in all things means in Greek? All things. Paul is telling us that God is not leaving out those broken places that are longing for redemption beyond what we see. And I see here in this passage, in what we're looking at together in Romans 8, an incredible hope that we are not looking at anything right now that God is not going to redeem. I think when God speaks through his word and says all things. You know what I think that means? I think that means all things. There is hope for Jesus to reconcile the world to himself, as it says in 2 Corinthians 5. We see this, that at the center of our story in Jesus, a, an embodied resurrection. Revelation 21 describes a redeemed, resurrected, and embodied life with God in a renewed creation that has been freed from its bondage to sin and death, just like us. When we look to the end of our story in the scriptures, it's not a disembodied place in the sky. It is a renewed heaven and earth in renewed resurrected bodies, which is way better news than floating up there somewhere, right? We get to live with God, resurrected like Jesus. That is our future. And T. Wright writes that redemption is not simply making creation a bit better as the optimistic evolutionists would try to suggest, nor is it rescuing spirits and souls 
from an evil material world, as the Gnostic would want us to say. It is the remaking of creation, having dealt with the evil that is defacing and distorting it. And it is accomplished by the same God, now known in Jesus Christ, through whom it was all made in the first place. Do you see now why creation groans? Why there is an eager expectation, Paul says, because there is one who is coming who will redeem it all. It is aching for redemption. And Paul says that we do too. That before we even know and understand the ache we feel in the world around us, we have the echoes of creation calling out and calling us to that same ache. He continues, not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope, we were saved. A few weeks ago, we talked about how the work of the Holy Spirit is in us to form the character of Christ. And I love this picture here. We see that the Holy Spirit, the first fruits, Paul says, is the seeds of new creation within us. And so as painful and as difficult as the journey that you and I face sometimes, we have in the Holy Spirit a glimpse of what the future is going to be here in the present. In another letter, Paul says that though outwardly we are wasting away, inwardly we are being renewed day by day. And I love that, that the love and the joy that breaks through these little moments and the trials, that comfort and peace that passes understanding that surprises us, these little moments of light in the darkness as we gather and sing, as we share meals together. Have you ever been sitting there in a place of hopelessness and darkness and somehow peace comes? The past is understanding somehow joy breaks through in sadness. Somehow love breaks through in hopelessness. Those are moments by the Holy Spirit telling you and I there is something ahead of us. And this is just a taste. This is just a foretaste of a day that will come when God has made all things new and joy and love are the norm and not the exception. When the pain has passed away, when tears have been wiped from our eye, and when we get these glimpses, we hold on tight. We gather in places like this to remember and to celebrate those little moments of breakthrough when the first fruits of the Spirit break into our broken reality and point us forward and say, there is hope ahead for you. So keep going. So keep going. So keep going. Is it hard right now? Yes, but keep going. Keep going. Keep going. So we groan. In fact, if we don't feel that ache and don't feel that groan, we might not be getting the fullness of the gospel. Because we should be feeling the ache. When our whole self one day is restored in new creation, when we no longer see in part, but we see in whole, and we ourselves in our broken state, finally and fully made whole. And not just our bodies, but our minds. For those of us who have walked with someone or walked through ourselves periods of struggle with mental illness, 
One of the things I love thinking about in the return of Jesus and all things being made new is that our minds will be made new. And the way that we see ourselves and see God and see one another clearly in a way that we can't in our broken state in this life. There's a day coming when not only our bodies are restored, but our minds as well in the fullness of who God is. And when those little moments of joy break through, Jesus says, look what's coming. Hold on. And the picture we're giving for how we respond is a profound one. Childbirth. Look with me again at verse 22. He says, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up into this present time. Now, I have never given birth to a child. News today for you. But I have been present for the birth of two children. My first child, a giant nine-pound baby, uh, my wife was in labor for 28 hours. She had three epidurals because the first two missed. She could not move her legs after a while, and she could barely keep her eyes open to hold the baby the first time because of how exhausted she was. Luckily, our second son was a mere seven pounds, and the labor was not as traumatic, yet on both occasions, I had to have my own chair because I was close to passing out from watching what was taking place in those rooms. And yet in that moment, when you hold that baby for the first time, I mean, I remember writing this down earlier this week and getting teary-eyed thinking about those moments when I held my child for the first time. It is nothing short of supernatural when you hold that little baby for the first time. And while I cannot say I know what childbirth feels like, I bet you would know that every suffering that was endured, all for that little moment of joy to break through, you know it's worth it. You know it's worth it. I love Paul's picture of childbirth because there is the presence of incredible pain and yet incredible joy ahead. We have this called the already and the not yet. New creation has arrived in Christ, but not in its fullness. Hope, we have it. It's here, but it's not fully here. And so, do you and I feel the labor pains of a broken world? Do we feel the labor pains of a broken self? Yes. We feel that ache. We long for the world to be made new. And what I want you to know today is that your ache is a witness. Your ache is a witness to what God is doing in this world. There's a lot of people outside the church that assume that we as followers of Jesus are oblivious to the pains and sufferings of this world. They think that we use religion as an opiate, as a numbing agent to keep us from feeling what is being felt around us. And perhaps... Your experience with Christians has been that way 
one that says that sufferings are primarily something to escape, to avoid, or to have enough faith to not have at all. I truly believe that there is a witness in our lament, in the expressions of our grief in this world, that our friends and neighbors that we walk with in our jobs, in our schools, that we meet with, can see that we feel the same ache and lament and grief for the world that we see too. That we have not chosen escape, we have chosen compassion to suffer with, to cry with in the brokenness of this world. When you feel that ache, when you cry out and lament, it is a witness and not something that points somewhere else. Romans 12, later on, same book, Paul reminds us that in love we are to rejoice with those who rejoice. We are to mourn with those who mourn. That ache you feel is part of your witness in this world. And we can do this confidently. We can lament. We can cry out, not because we're hopeless, but because we have hope. Can I just take a little aside here and say that I've had several conversations with people inside and outside this church over the last several years where people feel like they are in a faith crisis. And what it was is they never felt like they had permission to lament. They never felt like they had permission to grieve because that felt like faithlessness. So they felt the ache of the world. They felt the heaviness around them. And because they felt that heaviness, they thought that was a lack of faith. But what I remind them and what I remind you today is that's not a lack of faith. That's an expression of it. Your lament and grief and crying out is a witness in our world. A witness that we need. The pain is real, yes, but... Not from hopelessness. The Bible says we grieve, but not as those who do not have hope. What we see is that the story the Bible is telling, it both honors the ache that we feel, but it also promises that healing is ahead. And so in the meantime, to return to this picture of childbirth, our job as followers of Jesus, living in the tension between the ache and the hope, is our job is to push push. And because we have the first fruits of this future that are reminding us daily that we have something ahead of us worth holding on to, we keep pushing. I love the, the, the words of Henry Nouwen. He, he uses this language of being wounded healers, which sounds like an oxymoron, but in reality, wounded healers are the way that Jesus uh, operated in his own life, the way that we see forward for ourselves. And I know that in a room like today, we carry into this place aches and pains and wounds. There's some wounded people in here. I know that. I can say that. I'm one of them. We bring wounds into rooms like this. In the lives of our congregation, we carry wounds. We feel aches. And our task as we come together is to both acknowledge these wounds while also moving forward towards healing. We don't have to choose between those two things. We can lament and we can hope. We can feel 
and we can hope moving forward with what's coming ahead. I want to close with these words from Henry Nouwen in his book by that title, Wounded Healer. Because I know that many of you carry into this place today wounds. Many of you carry into this place today the ache of a world that you wish was but is not yet. And I promise you today that as we move into a time of communion, Jesus feels that same ache. The word says that by his wounds, we are healed. Even in his resurrection, the scars are still there. Why? Because the scars are his solidarity with our suffering, with where we actually are. That resurrection is not the erasure of what we feel, what we experience. It is the redemption of it. Listen to these words as we close today. Nobody escapes being wounded. We're all wounded people, whether physically, emotionally, mentally, or spiritually. The main question is not how can we hide our wounds so we don't have to be embarrassed, but how can we put our woundedness in the service of others? When our wounds cease to be a source of shame and become a source of healing, we have become wounded healers. As I have prayed into not only this message this week, but where we are as a church, and knowing through conversations and through hanging out with folks week in and week out where people are in their faith journey, there is a heaviness and an ache that our brothers and sisters who are not in this room feel. And I truly believe that we are being positioned as a church to be a community of wounded healers who can feel the ache with people, but can make healing where we're going together, make healing just as real as the wound itself. Because I want to feel and acknowledge the wound, but guess what? I want healing, y'all. I don't want to stay there. I want the already and the not yet. And I want in the aches that you and I feel to know that as we gather in a place like this, there is something ahead. And may that little bitty small breakthrough happen today in you as we take these elements together. Father, we take these, this cup, your body, your blood shed for our sins, broken for us. Lord Jesus says you are a man of sorrows. You are familiar with grief. You know what it feels to ache. And so whatever we bring into a room like this today, we can know that, Lord, you don't stand at a distance. You are not detached and unconcerned with the things that are stirring in our heart. But that your invitation today is to bring it fully to you and say, Lord Jesus, our wounded healer, receive what has been broken in me. Receive the ache that I feel as an offering to you. 
receive my lament as worship. And God, point me forward to the resurrection hope that I have, not just in my future, but right now. Give us that today, Lord, as we worship together in the name of Jesus.